Good morning, everyone. So good to see all of you here in the house today. Uh, as Lauren said, I got a couple of quick announcements. If you are with us and you would consider yourself new, you're in that new season, new space, new territory here with New Life Midtown, first of all, I want to personally welcome you. We're delighted to have you a part of our church. And I know it's been a while since I've been in the shoes of someone who's looking for a church. Actually, I had a... Um, I had a couple come up to me last week, and they said, we refuse to use the language that we're church shopping. I love that. They said, you know, we're, we're trying to discern where it is that God would have us go next. And that's, I understand that. Like, you're discerning, God, where would you want me as an individual or my family to plant ourselves so that we can be fruitful? And if this is one of the places that you're considering today, right after service, we have what's called New Life Next. It's a lunch that we serve, and it's an opportunity for us to share with you some of our history, some of our story, some of the things that are important to us as a people, where we feel like God is calling us to head in the future. It's also an opportunity for us to field any questions that you guys might have as you're trying to discern, God, is this the people that you're calling me and my family to? This is like, I'm, I'm seriously like probably like 10 feet away from you, and you can ask any question that you want as it relates to, should this be the church that God wants us to be in? So if you have time today, we're going to make it super, super quick. Uh, we will serve you lunch, and after we all eat together, it'll probably be a max of about 30 minutes that we'll spend together talking about who we are and who you are. So if you have time, we'd love to have you. All right, the second announcement I want to make is for those of you who are members in the spirit of membership here at New Life Midtown... Our family talk, we have, the, we have a, a record-breaking family talk, 186 people. <laughs> Guys, that's craziness. Like, we're going to break down this room, we're going to set up roundtables, and it's going to be crazy tonight. So, uh, and we have a lot of important things to talk about and a lot of stuff to talk about. So my appeal to you is if you could come a few minutes early, because we would like to start right at 4.30, 4.30, sorry, 4. Four. We want to start right at four. Boy, that would have been awful. I would have, I would have literally like messed everything up right there. So I need you to to erase four thirty from your memory. Four, 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 four. Just like just do that. Just four, four, four o'clock, three fifty, three forty-five, three. But uh, in terms of registration, getting your kids all set up, getting in the room, we like to start right at four o'clock sharp. All right. So looking forward to being with you this afternoon. All right, I've got loads of stuff that I want to cover, and so I'm going to pray. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and start moving your way to the book of Nehemiah. We're going to start in chapter 1 again. We're going to move from chapter 1 into chapter 2. And uh, I've got a burning word in my heart that I think is for you, and it's for this hour, and it's very, very important, very, very important. So, Holy Spirit, I just ask right now for a fresh empowerment of the Holy Spirit upon all of us. Lord, upon me, who's been assigned in this moment with the task of communicating this message, and Lord, with all of us who have been assigned with the task of hearing this message and discerning this message and applying this message to our lives. Father, I ask today that the Holy Spirit of the living God, the one who brings revelation, the one who reveals truth, and the one who reveals Jesus, I pray, Holy Spirit, that your activity in our midst right now in the preaching of the word would increase and be strong. Lord, I pray that where you need to bring conviction, that you would bring it in, in just the way that you know how to bring it, in a way that cuts but that heals. 
Lord, I pray for those of us who need comfort by the Holy Spirit, you would comfort us. Those of us who need encouragement, those of us who need admonishment or rebuke or correction, Holy Spirit, I pray, come and do these things to each and every one of us uniquely and individually and collectively and corporately in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Nehemiah chapter 1, we're going to begin in verse 3. We're in the second installment in the series on the book of Nehemiah, and I am getting rocked. And I want to encourage you to read the book of Nehemiah during this series. We know that we're going to go at least seven weeks. We'll go eight weeks max. The more I'm digging into this, I'm going, wow, we really, we really could spend a few more weeks on this. And there are some messages that I just don't want to rush through, today being one of those. I don't, I don't want to feel this pressure to rush through this message. And before we get into the reading of the scripture, I do want to say two things about, about Nehemiah at large, and I want to say something about today's message in particular. You're going to be tempted. Some of us in this room are going to be tempted when we hear this message to run out and try to lock down and do this message in our own strength and, and, and even partner with a spirit of religion with what I'm about to share with you today. And what I mean by that is there is what Paul calls the letter of the law and then there is the spirit of the law. And it is absolutely critical that when we get into what we're about to get into, that we have the help of the Holy Spirit to help us to hear and to discern our lives by the spirit of the law. And I don't have tons of time to unpack all the theological implications and nuances of the spirit of the law, but this is where we cry out for the help of the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, show us how to do this. Help us do this. Otherwise, we're going to fall into the pitfall of what the Pharisees did, trying to legislate a righteousness and obedience to God, trying to live according to a standard based on their own strength and based on their own human understanding, all right? So that's that. The second, as we talk about every one of these messages in Nehemiah, I'm hoping that you listen to these messages on four levels. First, that you listen to every one of these messages on the personal level. How does this affect me? Today, you're going to hear some things that is direct application to your life. Secondly, I want, to listen, I want you to listen to these messages thinking about how it affects those that are closest to you within your inner circle of relationships. That could be your friendships, that could be your marriage, your children, that could be your parents, whoever it is that, that's within that closest circle of relationships in your life. I want you to listen to these messages on that level. Thirdly, I'm hoping that you listen to these messages on the level of thinking about the spiritual family that God has planted you in. What are the implications of this message for us as a community of believers? I don't believe that we're just a group of isolated individuals that happen to conglomerate together in the same place at the same time on a Sunday morning. I happen to believe that we are the church of Jesus Christ, that we're a unique and a peculiar people in the world, that we're a royal priesthood, that God has formed us together as his body and that he's doing something uniquely and powerfully in us collectively as a people. And then finally, I'm going to ask that you listen to these messages, and this is going to be something that we have to grow in, to listen to these messages from the lens of God. What are you doing in my city, or even what are you doing in my nation at large? So when we interact with the Word of God, we're not just interacting with it on a personal level. We're interacting it 
with it on all of the concentric circles of our lives that we're connected to. Okay, with all that being said, let's read Nehemiah chapter 1. We're going to read verse 3 right here. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. Can you say great trouble, great trouble. And, disgrace. and disgrace? The wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates have been burned with fire. All right, so we learned last week that Nehemiah's response to this news is that he sits down, he weeps, he mourns, he fasts, and he prays, he confesses his sin and the sin of the Israelites. He identifies with the sin of the nation, even though, you got to understand this, Nehemiah is hundreds of miles away from Jerusalem when he's hearing this message. Like, he's not even lived in Jerusalem, but he identifies with the sins of that geographical location and the people that are in that city. And he's saying, I'm wrapping myself, I'm folding myself up into the sin of my people. And I'm saying, God, forgive me, have mercy on me. I repent for the sins that our people, my people have committed against you that have brought us to this place that we're at right now. We find in the beginning of chapter two that Nehemiah has an audience with the king. He's the cupbearer to King Artaxerxes the king of Persia. And he musters up his courage and his confidence. He cries out for favor and grace from God. And when the king asks him a question, why are you so downcast? You shouldn't be sad in my presence. Like when the king's throwing a feast and drinking wine, I don't want to look around and have somebody with a sourpuss face. I go, you need to be fake it when I'm drinking wine, pal. But Nehemiah can't fake it because he is so burdened by the fact that his people are in great trouble and they are in disgrace. So the king says, what's going on? Which in and of itself was a miracle, guys. And so Nehemiah responds here, Nehemiah chapter two, verse three. Nehemiah chapter two, verse three. So I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins? and its gates have been destroyed by fire, right? In chapter one, we find out that the walls have been broken, and so the people are in great trouble, and they are disgraced. Now we find out that the city and the people lie in ruins. Their lives are a shambles. Their hopes have been shattered. No one's going out on their porch, sipping lemonade, waving to neighbors while they're walking by. There's, there's utter ruin in the city. They've been dehumanized. Dignity has been stripped from them. Fear is running in the streets. Some of you guys can relate to this on some level, whether it be you personally or the family background that you grew up in or maybe even the people group that you belong to. You can identify with the reality of life's not as great as everybody you know, told me that it was 30 and 40 and 50 years ago. Like There's this sense that even in our nation, we find ourselves experiencing more and more disgrace and distress, and we find that the cities that we, are, that we occupy are lying in ruins. Our school systems, our governments, financial situations, like just put yourself right here into Nehemiah's story. As we keep reading, look at verse 17 with me, chapter 2, verse 17. Then I said to them, you, you see the trouble that we are in. Jerusalem lies in ruins, and its gates have been burned with fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem, 
and we will no longer be in disgrace. I actually, I actually jumped ahead. That was Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 17. Look with me, if you would, at chapter 2, verse 13. Chapter 2, verse 13. So Nehemiah gets the approval of the king to go back to Jerusalem with a lot of favor and a lot of provision. I mean, he just, he just says, I'm going I'm to ask for everything. Send me back. Give me time off. Give me paid vacation. Pay for my house. Give me a letter that makes sure nobody messes with me. And the king gives it all to him. And Nehemiah attributes it to the goodness and the grace of God. Nehemiah arrives in Jerusalem, and in chapter 2, verse 13, we find out that upon his arrival, look at this, he says, by night I went out through the valley gate. So now he's in Jerusalem. He's made the trip back. I went out through the valley gate toward the jackal well and the dung gate. I always laugh when it says jackal. I just, I'm just, jackal well, I just laugh at that. And the dung gate. And the, both of those, Right? Yeah, I read those to my kids and they just snicker. I'm like, seriously, guys grew up, but it is really funny. Okay, <laughs> and look what he did. He says, I examined the walls of Jerusalem, which had been broken down, and its gates, which had been destroyed by fire. So we're seeing a theme here. Within two chapters, we find four verses where the author explicitly says that the walls have been broken, and the result of the walls being broken are the people are in distress, the city is in ruins, and the people have been shamed. The people have been shamed. And secondly, we find out that not only have the walls been broken, but the gates have been burned with fire. So broken walls in the book of Nehemiah equal three things. Broken walls equal trouble, ruin, and disgrace. Trouble, ruin, and disgrace. Now we can wrap our heads around this physically. Like, there are some of you in the room, I've been to your homes. Like, there is more security systems and cameras around your homes than Fort Knox. I mean, it's nuts. Like, I'm not going to call anybody out, but I got a friend of mine who literally has every room in his house on his phone, and multiple times a day, he is checking, oh, look, a leaf blew by. What is happening here? I don't recognize that car. Who is that Amazon guy? I mean, it's just like, I see you. He's got three children, and he just knows, like, every moment of the day, he's got those guys on lockdown. Like, we understand the concept of security and building up physical walls. In the modern era, our notion of security is this. It's ring cameras. It's ADT. Like, we understand that. Some of you guys have big, massive dogs. I have another friend of mine. Big, burly, massive dog. I mean, like, sweet as a cute little bear would never... But people don't know that. And so what they have around their house is a little electric fence that keeps that dog in and also keeps intruders out, right? So we understand the notion of walls. But the word of the Lord for us today is that there are walls in your heart and in your mind that if you don't take the time... I'm feeling my help coming on now that if you don't take the time to examine, identify, and fortify the walls around the most precious things in your life, then the result of that will be three things. You're going to be in great trouble, which means that you are exposed to danger, right? Number two, there will be ruin. When you don't take care of the walls of your thought life, when you don't take care of the walls of your purity, 
When you don't take care of the walls that protect offense from entering into the garden of your heart, then you will experience disaster and devastation in your thought life, in your emotions, in your relationships. Some of us look around and all we can see is ruin and devastation and go, I don't know why this is, but we've not examined the walls of our lives. It's our children, our marriages. Listen, none of you are a victim. You're not a victim to your family of origin. You're not a victim to the culture that's around you. God has given you a divine responsibility and mandate to cover and guard and defend and protect the things in your life that matter most. Here's what I know about walls. When walls are compromised, the valuable things are vulnerable. When walls are compromised, the valuable things are vulnerable. Many of you may know that several years ago, our family got, our house got broken into. Little did we know there was someone who was watching our home, watching when we came, watching when we left. They would park across the street from us. Months later, we began putting things together and realizing, oh my gosh, they were casing our house for months. And on one day when I was at work and Chrissy took the kids to school, she arrived home and the garage door was open, the internal garage door was open, our checkbooks were stolen, and it took hours to restore those things that were violated and stolen from our house. And here's why. When the walls are compromised, the valuable things are vulnerable. You and I need revelation today, and I've been saying this for the past couple of weeks. We need revelation to even discern what's valuable. Because if you have no revelation of what's valuable, you're not going to go through the extra lengths to protect the things that are valuable in your life. Are you hearing me today? Right? Walls protect things that are valuable. They keep the precious things in and they keep the dangerous things out. Now, I'm going to switch gears here and I'm going to get really, really personal today. I'm going to get really personal. So for those of you who aren't new to the family, like I'm just praying a special grace on your lives today. (laughs) Everybody who's part of the family, you guys know who Pastor Jade is. We're just going to get really, really, really personal today. All right, go with me to Genesis chapter four. Genesis chapter four tells the story of one of the kind of first cascading effects of the sin of the garden. Genesis chapter 3, we find out that the enemy gets into the garden. We're going to talk more about that here in a minute because, by the way, Adam was tasked with guarding and defending and protecting this garden. How did the enemy get in? Why is the enemy having a conversation with my wife if I've been given an assignment in the spirit and in the natural to protect the garden of my marriage? So we'll get get to you later, Adam. Adam. But there's a breach in the wall of the garden and the enemy comes in and he begins having a conversation with Adam's wife. And as a result of this, Adam participates with sin and sin touches all of humanity and their children are the first point of collateral damage to him not examining and defending and fortifying the wall of the garden that he's been placed in. Cain murders his brother, Abel. This is Adam's two sons. But before he comes to that place where he murders his own brother, church, he has a conversation with God. God says, Cain, what are you doing right now? God knows. Cain, what are you thinking about right now? 
Cain, what, what are you stewing on right now? Cain, let's talk about this offense that's going on in the garden of your heart right now. There are weeds and roots of offense that you are nurturing that are going to end up in murder if you don't deal with them. And this is what God says in Genesis chapter 4. Look with me. Verse 7, he says, if you do what is right, will you not be accepted? This is God speaking to Cain. But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. That's right. Now, every single one of us need a dose of the fear of the Lord right now. And you need to realize there is not a day in your life where the enemy is not crouching at your door to, ha- to, to take you. It's the punch that we're not expecting that takes us out. And in the same way that that couple were, were watching the gates and the walls of my house to take advantage of us in a moment of vulnerability, you need to know there is not a second in your life where the enemy is not watching the gates of the doors of your life. He's setting up traps. He is setting up pitfalls. He is setting up snares. He is a chess player. He's thinking multiple moves down the road. He is trying, he's, he's trying to attack you and your marriage and your singleness and your purity and your integrity and your leadership and your standing in the community. He's trying to attack it from every angle. And if he can't get you with pride, he'll get you with lust. And if he can't get you with lust, he'll get you with, with, with selfish ambition. He'll get you with division. He'll get you with resentment. He'll get you with unforgiveness because sin is crouching at your door. And it desires to master you. Sin is not satisfied until it controls every area of your life. Sin is not satisfied until it begins to consume and dominate not only your life, but every single person that you're connected to. Because the enemy doesn't just want you. He wants your influence. He wants your voice. He wants the prophetic voice for a generation that God has given to you. And if he can get you, he can get thousands of people that you're supposed to influence in your day. He's crouching at the door and he desires to have you. Walls protect things that are precious. Walls protect things that are valuable. What is a wall? A wall, it's a boundary. It's a boundary. It's a standard. It's a law. The word of God can serve as a wall in your life. But the problem in the culture that we've created is we don't don't want boundaries. We don't want government. We don't want the government of God. We don't want anybody telling us what to do. We don't want anybody telling us hard things. And so consequently, church, listen, we have a generation, and I don't, I'm not even talking about the world. I'm talking about the church. We have a church in this hour of history that is vulnerable to the attack of the enemy because the walls of accountability and standard and righteousness and holiness and purity, they're low. They're broken. They're broken. They're destroyed. They're damaged. And consequently, the church is vulnerable. The church is vulnerable to the ideologies of the, of the age that we live in. Oh, it's okay. It's no big deal. Let's talk here for a minute about, about gates. So we're learning in the book of Nehemiah that there's two things that Nehemiah is he's examining. He's examining the state of the walls, which are boundaries. 
standards that protect us. They keep valuable things in, they keep threats out. But then at these juncture points around the walls, there's gates. What are gates? Gates are simply doors. Gates govern access. They allow entry and they allow exit. And this is where I want to equip you to be a victorious people today. You've got to listen today. Some of you young ones in the faith right now, you have to, you have to learn and understand this is, a, this is an invaluable principle to the future of your victory in life. Amen. You have gates to the garden of your soul. One of the most important things, one of the most precious things in your life is your heart. And every single one of us have gates that allow entry and access into the garden of our heart. Anybody have any idea where some of those gates are? Okay. Your eyes are a gate. Your ears, what you listen to, are a gate. Your mind, what you think about, is a gate. And this may seem a little counterintuitive, but actually even your words can become a gate into the garden of your heart. Right, So you'll notice in the book of Nehemiah that, it's, that, that Nehemiah has this incredible blend of understanding the spiritual and the natural. That he doesn't just pray for the walls to be built. He goes and he builds them. Right, But he doesn't just go out there and work. He prays. And there are spiritual gates that are actually allowing things into the garden of your heart and your mind that are affecting the state of your spiritual being. Are you hearing me today? Yeah. Go with me to Genesis chapter 2. When Adam was first created and God put him in the garden, the Lord gave him a very simple command. Genesis chapter 2 verse 15. The scripture says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to do two things to work it, and to take care of it. We'll talk about working the garden another day. But this word to take care of it is a really fascinating word in the Hebrew. It's shamer. Shamer, S-H-A-M-A-R. And the range of this word is fascinating because essentially it means to guard, to defend, to protect, and to watch over with the purpose of keeping that good thing that God has entrusted. So Adam was commissioned by God to be the watchman of the garden of responsibility that God put him in. Are you with me? Every single one of us have gardens in our lives. You have the garden of your thoughts. You have the garden of your heart. You have the garden of your closest relationships. And listen, for those of you guys who feel that God has called you into this earth to be a prophetic voice to your generation, that should be everyone, the borders of your prayer life will be the borders of your ministry. The borders of your prayer life will become the borders of your ministry. You want more influence? You want more authority in the spirit? Then take a look at what's in your garden and write those things down by name and begin to speak who is in your garden before God and cover and defend and protect the garden that God has placed you in? Go with me to Proverbs chapter four. I, I wanna lean in on this notion that the most important thing 
in your life is your heart. That when it comes to building walls and watching over gates, the most important thing that you can give your attention to is the state of your heart. What is the state of your heart right now? Because if your spiritual fervor and fire and energy is low, it's a heart issue. If your relationships are in disrepair, it's a heart issue. If there's vulgarity and lewd jokes that are coming out of your mouth, it's a heart issue. If you're struggling with certain addictions with the things that you look at, it's a heart issue, okay? Over and over and over again, I can show you scripturally that what is coming out of your life can all be traced back to your heart. Look at Proverbs chapter 4, verse 23. Very, very simple scripture here. Most of us have heard it before. The scripture says to guard or watch over or protect or defend your heart with all diligence. Some other words has been translated vigilance. The word here is actually an offshoot of our word in Genesis chapter 2, shemer. It's a variation of this word. So I want you to think about this. The literal definition here in the Hebrew of this word diligence, above all else, guard your heart. All right, this is where I don't like the NIV because in other translations it says, above all else, guard your heart with all diligence, vigilance. And the word vigilance and the word diligence right there is our offshoot of shemer. And here's what it means. It means to watch over like a, like a, like a guard watches over a prison. Like with that same level of violence and vigilance that a prison guard would watch over a prison, the scripture is telling you, you need to watch over your heart with that same level of vigilance. Now here's, here's how I want to translate this. Friends, we, gotta, we have to stop being passive and permissive with what enters into our hearts. Like you have to be, and this is where, if we're not careful, we can, we can slip into this letter of the law. And this is exactly what the Pharisees did. But here's, you've got to get really honest with yourself. What are you allowing into the garden of your heart through the gate of your appetite? Listen, let's all be honest with ourselves. If there are things that you are consuming that turn you into an animal, stop it. Build a wall. There are certain places I cannot go, church. I just can't go there. You may be able to go there. I can't go there. There are certain things that I can drink. You can't drink. Don't drink it. Like some of you just need to build a wall and say, I'm not allowed to drink alcohol because the old man inside of me is still so strong that once he tastes a drop of that stuff, he powers up. And I am utterly powerless to defend this old evil man inside of me. So you know what you need to do? You need to build a wall and say, I can't go there. That's not allowed in, and I'm not going out to bring it in. Are you hearing me today? There are some of you, your phone, you need to put some things on that phone. All right, because the things that are entering in through the gate of your eye, into your heart, it is destroying your peace. Now, we can talk about all the clinical and technical aspects of not living in anxiety, but let me, let me just let you in on a really simple clue. The fact that you're consuming hours upon hours upon hours of things that are happening in the world that you are never designed 
You were never designed to have that level of access to the problems of this world, right? You have, you have been designed uniquely in God to withhold the pressure of the calling of God on your life. But when you start scrolling through Facebook and TikTok and Snapchat and Twitter and CNN and MSNBC, and now what you're doing is you're taking on all of the pressure of everyone around you. You are not, you don't have the infrastructure for that. You have to set a wall around those iPhones. Some of you, let's just be honest. The first thing that you do before you do anything else, you don't say, good morning, Holy Spirit. You don't brush your teeth. You go there, and the first thing that enters into the garden of your heart are the notifications that came up on your phone. Be honest. Okay, I'll be honest. All right, it's me. I do that. This morning, this morning, I walked over to my phone. I went to go check the time. And on my phone, there was, there was a notification from the Atlantic about, about this movement called hashtag that girl. Anybody heard of that? Six billion followers and views on TikTok. You know what's happening? This movement called hashtag that girl is this movement of people that are like literally killing their lives in order to present this view of themselves as beautiful and wealthy waking up at 5 a.m. I'm eating avocado toast. I look at all the nice designer clothes that I wear. Let me take a picture of myself. Hashtag that girl. Six billion people. Access. What are you giving access to your heart? Let's keep, look, look, at, look at Proverbs 4.23 again, you guys. It is the control center of your life. You don't have joy. It's because something's going on in your heart. You don't have peace. Guard your heart. What are you allowing in? Anxiety, fear, insecurity, doubt, control, manipulation, threats. What are you allowing to grow in the garden of your heart through the gate of your eyes? Some of you know my story. When I was a young kid, grew up as a military brat, all my boys, man, they were black or Puerto Rican. So, man, we grew up listening to hip-hop before hip-hop was hip-hop. Like Public Enemy and NWA, like, like the first draft. And I mean, I could, I, could, I could walk you through a whole, just the whole line. If it came out between 1985 and 2000, I had the CD and the record, and it was nonstop. But you know what that was put in my heart? Rage. Violence. And then, then it's Jodeci and Silk. And I mean, like, listen, I could go on. So you know what else is growing inside of me? Lust. Lust and rage. Lust and rage. You know where it's coming? Through the gate of my ear. Feeding. Feeding. And you know what's happening? Seeds are being sown in the garden of my heart. Friends, listen, I'm giving you something that could could save your life. Pay attention to the gates of your life. What are you letting in through the eye gate? What are you watching? What are you reading? What are you letting into the ear gate? What kind of conversations are you allowing yourself to engage in? You wonder why there's division? If you you allow slander and gossip and criticism in through the ear gate, it's going to sow the seeds of division into the garden of your heart. Go with me to Matthew chapter 13. I cannot tell you how important this is. Remember the three words, that where the walls are broken, the people lie in ruins 
They are in great trouble. Trouble. Like, here's the thing. I, I think that we have no revelation of, the, of how, much, how, how close to trouble we really are. Like, and this is what I've been crying out lately for myself and for you. You're in the garden of my, you, you are in my garden. Particularly those of you who are in family talk. This is why we need your names and pictures, because I pray over you by name. Because you're in my garden. But I'm, I've been crying out, God, I need a greater sensitivity to sin. And I need a greater fear of the Lord of the dangers that are lurking in my life. Dude, I've got a, I've got a scope on my back, y'all. Like, the enemy don't like me preaching like this. He doesn't want me getting on fire from God. He hates it when I start fasting and praying and crying out for you. He hates it. Right? But I've got to be aware that the spirit of the fear of the Lord will keep me out of places that I don't belong. And friends, listen, I am praying this for you because no amount of preaching will do this. You need the Holy Spirit. You need to cry out. Holy Spirit, show me how dangerous this is. You know what it's like? It's like going out to the ocean when there's a massive undercurrent out there and you're la, 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 la. Let's just build sandcastles right next to the, to the waves. And that current just comes in and grabs it. You do not know how strong the undercurrent of Satan's grip is. But listen, listen. He wants you to think two things. You're stronger than you are and that his power is not as strong as it is. Because if he can convince you that, oh, you can do this. You, now, right now, that message is for other people. You got this. You've been in Christ for years. Yeah, but you're anemic and you're powerless and you're living a mediocre Christian life and you know it. And he's saying, it's okay. Anesthetize, 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 anesthetize. Shh, go to sleep, go to sleep. That's <laughs> what he does. He lulls us to sleep. And you know what happens? The watchmen get off of the walls. The gates are open, and it's field day for your family. It's field day in your business. It's field day, on, and the, the sanctuary of your spirit is being violated. Matthew chapter 13, Jesus is telling a parable. Many of us have heard this. It's about a farmer who sows seed, and Jesus is saying this is the first parable that Jesus leads off with when he talks about the kingdom. He says, if you want to understand the kingdom of God, understand this parable. And I've read this parable over a hundred times, if not more, in my life. I pray it, I think about it, I read it, I preach on it, and I still don't understand the fullness of this parable. The other day, guys, let me just tell you, I was, it was Friday, came home, I've been tired, and I was like, dude, I'm just going to chill out. And I felt, I felt sin. I was home alone, and I just felt the man. I just felt sin just knocking on my door. I was like, "Holy smokes!" It scared me. I opened up Matthew chapter thirteen. I was like, "God, right now, if there is anything in the garden of my soul, I just began building walls right now. God, I build a wall right now around my heart. I build a wall around my purity. I build a wall around my affections. I build a wall, God. You got to get violent about your heart. Are you hearing me?" vigilance. Matthew chapter 13, here are the verses beginning in verse 18. This is the explanation of the parable. So if you want to go back and read the, the symbolism of the parable, read that in the beginning verses. 
Jesus is explaining the parable and he says, listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Every time you hear the word, the enemy is waiting to snatch it out of your heart. And we wonder why our, our churches are not powerful. Because we're not building walls. You say, well, how do I build a wall, Pastor Jay? Just say, in the name of Jesus, I build a wall around my heart and my mind. God, cover and protect the word that is being sown in the field. Don't take it lightly, friends. Stop being passive with your spirituality. That's the word. Stop being passive. Stop being a watchman who falls asleep on the wall of your heart. You know what this actually means right here when anyone hears the message and does not understand it? It's not just, it's not the simple of heart who are going, man, I really wish I could understand that. If you have a heart to understand the word, God is going to move heaven and earth by his spirit and the church to make the word come alive. What this means is they have no desire to understand it. They shrug their shoulders. That's why their hearts are hardened. They think they already know. The most dangerous, deceptive place that you can be in your spirituality in any arena of your life is to assume, I know that. Oh, I heard, oh yeah, he's probably going to go to Matthew chapter 13 right now. He's probably going to hit that whole parable of the sower. He's probably going to talk about the state of our heart. Right? Listen, you are in dangerous territory, friend, because you have, just, you have traded a pact with the spirit of religion who is designed to put a blinder around the eyes of your spirit to neuter you into low-level Christianity and to keep you from living in power. Be careful when you think that you know it. Let's see what else happens in the garden. Verse 20, the seed that falls on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy, but because they have no root, there's no interior root within themselves. You, You know people like this? There's no depth, always changing, one job, one job, one job, doing something like, you know. Listen, have some stability in the infrastructure of yourself. That's what the scripture is saying. They have no root in themselves. They're flighty. They're superficial people. They're easily moved. They're emotional. And so consequently, they're going, yeah, yeah, come on, preacher, right? But they don't sit. They don't sit with the word. They don't wrestle with the word. They don't say, God, let the word examine me, try me, convict me, correct me, rebuke me. They're like, oh, that one doesn't feel good. Let's go to something else. Right? Be careful. Pay attention to the way you listen to the word. Here's the next one right here. Verse 21, verse 22. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life, number one, the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. What are the worries of your life? What are the worries of your life that are keeping you from guarding the territory, the real estate of the garden of your heart? All right, Jonathan, you can come up. I want to give you two really quick verses here. They came to me this morning as I was praying into this and over this, So they're not going to be on the slides, but you can write them down in your notes. One is Proverbs. Where is that verse? Proverbs chapter 24. 
I'm going to read Proverbs 24, then I'm going to go to John chapter 14, verse 30. But I just thought this was, wow, I was praying this and it just shot up and you communion attendants can come on forward when you all get together. Proverbs chapter 24, look with me at verse 30 if you have your Bibles. I went past the field of a sluggard. I went past the vineyard of someone who has no sense, no spiritual insight, foolish. Verse 31, thorns had come up everywhere. The ground was covered with weeds. Look at this. And the stone wall was in ruins. There is a word the Holy Spirit is saying to the church today, friends. What is the state of the walls of your life, your, your, your relationships? What is the state? Remember, Nehemiah got off of his course at night and he examined the state of the walls. He paid attention. He built a plan. He faced reality. This is a threat. So here, the writer of Proverbs is saying the same thing. Look at verse 32. So I applied my heart to what I observed, and I learned a lesson from what I saw. You know one of the key indicators of wisdom is? You don't have to learn all of the lessons the hard way. You watch someone destroy their life, you go, what did they do? Great, I am not doing that again. Right. Like, you don't have to experience everything that's going to destroy your life. Like, do you want your life to be in shambles? No? Good. Build a wall. Build a wall. Run from evil. Paul says this of his young son, Timothy. He says, flee, 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 flee. Get away from that. Stop flirting. Stop flirting. You're not strong enough. Sin is crouching at the door. Do you know what I've been praying all week long, guys? Listen to me. Even this morning, three hours I was up. Here's how I was praying. God, please. I feel the weight of the fear of the Lord on this message. I need your help. I don't know how to preach this in a way that cuts through the layer of passivity that is in our culture and in the church, I need the Holy Spirit to land on this. Flee, flee. Why are you still drinking that stuff? It's destroying your family. Years ago, years ago, there was a man in this church got addicted to marijuana, threw his entire family of four beautiful children away. Do you know why? Because he just flat out said, I refuse to fight this. I want this. I love this more than I love four beautiful children. Friends, listen to me. Build a wall and watch over with vigilance the gates of your heart. This is what Jesus said. This is the last verse. John chapter 14, verse 30. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus is about to leave the earth and he's talking to his disciples. You guys can stand up because we got to get moving here. And here's what Jesus said. He guys, listen, I'm about to go away. I've said everything I need to say to you. And there it is on the screen. The prince of this world, he's coming. Satan, Hasatan, the accuser, the beast, Leviathan, the dragon. Like you are no match for Satan, friends. You are no match. Satan is coming. This is what Jesus said. But then look at the next verse right here. Look at this word. Sorry, the next word in verse 30. My bad. He has no hold over me. Some translation says, he has no place in me. 
He has no place, no hook. There's no hook inside of me. That's what Jesus, he has no claim on me. Some translations say there's no power. He has no power. He has not one ounce of power inside of me. Do you know why? Because Jesus has vigilantly guarded the gates of his life for the sake of humanity. You think Jesus wasn't tempted? It wasn't just the wilderness where Jesus was tempted, friends. Every single day, bitterness, rejection, frustration, division, slander, lust, pride, arrogance. These, the scripture tells us in Hebrews chapter four, our, our great high priest, there is no sin or temptation that is common to humanity that he has not touched. But he violently guarded the gates built a wall so that he could be a pure sacrifice for you and for me, friends. Will you just pause here? Let the Holy Spirit speak to you. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. Be a refiner's fire and a launderer's soap today. Holy Spirit, wash us. Speak to us. Shout in our spirit, man, today, Holy Spirit. Get our attention. Shake us out of our lethargy. Shake us out of our spiritual slumber, O oh God. Arouse us today, I pray. Rouse our spiritual attentiveness, God. Make us sensitive again. God, forgive us today. We've just been passing things off. Oh, I just, I struggle with that. God knows I struggle with that. Lord, I pray right now for the fear of the Lord to drop in. Not a spirit of religion, not the letter of the law, but the spirit of the fear of God to settle in. Draw us into the word. Let us look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom. In the name of Jesus, God, you can cut us and you can wound us because it's the wounds of a faithful friend that bring life, God. You can discipline us because every father disciplines the children that he loves, God. Speak to us. For this reason, the word of God has come inspired by the Holy Spirit to bring teaching and to bring correction, to bring rebuke and to bring encouragement. Spirit of God, right now, Lord, this is a holy moment. Lives are hanging in the balance. I am asking Holy Spirit, come, penetrate the barriers that we have erected around our minds, the self-protecting barriers that we've erected, erected around our hearts. God, I know that the mind will justify what the heart has chosen. Now, God, wrestle with hearts. Wrestle with the hearts in this room, I pray, in the name of Jesus. Bring revelation, God. Rip veils off of our hearts and open our spiritual eyes that we would see truth and that we would repent, oh God. Let us be aligned with the truth of your word in the name of Jesus. Friends, let's come and let's receive grace and let's receive conviction, and let's receive cleansing, and let's receive empowerment in the body and the blood of Jesus. You may come to the table today.
thank you, Jesus. Aren't you glad that we serve the one who conquered Satan and sin? Amen. Amen. That he has made victory available for us. Some of us might be in the room and feel utterly discouraged. Listen, this is a message of hope. And here's the hope. The hope is this. This morning, I felt just in my spirit, the Lord dropped this in my spirit. I felt like the Lord said, you can, you can be the man or woman of God you've always dreamed of. Some of us are in this room and we're disappointed in our relationships. Lord, I expected that whatever, it was gonna be better. But listen, the thing you're dreaming about in your relationship with God, there is nothing in God that's holding that back, right? This is an invitation. The Holy Spirit is saying, come, there's more. I have more for you, right? So two quick thoughts. Number one, this is impossible without grace. Right, the solution isn't to go out here and all of a sudden become a Pharisee. It's not the solution. Number two, very, very practically, if you have to argue it, reason it, justify it, you need to run from it. The danger's in the conversation, right? Eve, Eve carried that conversation one second to, like, she should have never been in that conversation. What do you, what do you, what do you mean? I'm out, dude, I'm out. Like, once you start trying to roll, roll me in and start getting me to justify and reason and defend God, I'm out. Right? We need to like close the gap. Close the gap. You see it? Like run. Close the gap. Repent. Be quick to repent. Are you hearing me today, church? God's got great things for this house. Like, and the world needs strong disciples of Jesus. And there's no other way. I wish I could say there's no other way. We've got to get serious about our spirituality and our relationship with God and walking as mature sons and daughters. There is no other way. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. With his closest friends, he broke that bread. You can break this in your hands. And he says, friends, this is my body, a protected, sacred, sanctified, holy body that I watched over. And now I give it to you as a holy sacrifice to be something for you that you could not be for yourself. Take and eat, for this is the body of Christ. Let us receive. Mm, receive strength, church. Then he took the cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. This is what destroys sin. This is what covers you when shame and guilt try to come and be your clothing. It's the blood of Jesus. Nothing is more powerful. Nothing is more powerful. It'll cleanse your mind. It'll cleanse your desires. It'll cleanse your attitude. It'll cleanse you. It'll make you clean. It'll make you whole. So Jesus, right now we ask, come. Let this be unto us the very blood of Jesus shed for us on Calvary to make us pure and holy in Jesus' name. Let us receive the cup. Amen, church. You receive that today? I'm not angry at you. I hate sin. I hate it. I hate, I hate what the enemy is doing to the body of Christ. You were created to be powerful. You were created to be powerful, mighty in God. And that's what I, I'm jealous for that in God. Let's sing a song of thanksgiving to the Lord, shall we? Thank you, God. Praise God from mm. Blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures.
Listen, we have people up here. You might be saying, this is a powerful word. I need help. I got good news. We got brothers and sisters up here who want to help you. They want to pray for you. They want to encourage you. Guys, they have prophetic words to give to you. They have words of the Spirit to speak over you right now. So if you want prayer for any area of your life, I want to invite you to come up, see one of our prayer ministers. Also, again, if you're new, we'll probably start serving lunch here in about... 10 minutes. Okay, go grab your kids, get them fed, and I'd love to meet all of our guests at New Life Next. We'll see you soon. God bless you guys.